This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, it's Luke. Listen, before we get to this week's episode, I need to ask you a very quick favor. Can you believe we have been producing Livewire for 11 years and we've been able to share work from emerging artists, people like Tomo Nakayama and Sarah Benincasa, and also through Livewire, we've been able to showcase established artists, people who already are pretty well known, folks like John Roderick, folks like Fred Armisen. This podcast, while it's free, for you at this moment, as you're, if you paid somebody for this podcast, you got hustled. This is supposed to be free, what you're hearing right now. But it does cost us money to put it together. And so we are hoping, and this is where the favor comes in, that you can help us keep producing this podcast and keep making it something that is, in fact, free of charge. And this is how you can do that. If you could chip in $10 through our Give Guide campaign, that would be so great. That's like 40 cents per episode, which is about a tenth of a latte. Because this is public radio, we have to use a latte as our mathematical unit for just about everything. Here's how you can do this. There is a website, giveguide.org slash hashtag livewire. If we raise enough money this year, we won't have to have such a shitty web address next time. That's giveguide.org. That part's great. It's the slash hashtag livewire that I think may be challenging, but we're going to ask you to take on the challenge. Again, that address, giveguide.org slash hashtag Live Wire Radio. Thank you so much for listening to our show and thank you for supporting Live Wire. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Live Wire Radio. We're backstage in Portland, Oregon. We've got an amazing show. We've got Joshua Wolf Shank. We've also got music from Fernando. And we've got this guy, Anis Mojgani. The theme of this show is the power of two. You did something twice, you won the National Poetry Slam two times. The second time where y'all just like, whatever. Actually, winning the second time was kind of a big turning point for me. I found myself in a place where it's like, oh, well, if I did this thing and I did it a second time, then maybe that gives me the sort of like the larger confidence boost to be like, you're on the right track and you're doing the right thing. Wait, so after you won the National Poetry Slam competition once, you weren't sure still if you were good at poetry. We all have our doubts. We all have our days where we're like, ah, I'm awesome. And other days we're like, everything is better than me. It's weirdly comforting to hear that as we're about to go on stage. We're going to do this together, Anise. Fantastic. So power of two, right here. That's exactly right. This will be the power of two. Let's get out there on stage and, and do this radio show. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Yes, it's Livewire Radio from the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, with Power of Two author Joshua Wolfshank, poet Anis Moshkani, and music from Fernando. All that, plus comedy from our troupe Too Many Altoids, and our house band, led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. And now, the host of Livewire, half of the award-winning ice dancing team, Phoenix Rising, Luke Burbank! 
Thank you very much, Jason Rouse. Thank you to everyone here at the Alberta Rose Theater this hour. We are going to be talking about the power of two and collaboration. We've got some guests who are going to approach that from various angles. And I've been thinking about that topic this week because I have to say, um, a, I guess I'll call them a dynamic duo. A, a sort of dynamic duo came into my life this week. And um, it involved parking shaming me. <laughs> so I live in this little town in Washington State called Port Townsend. And it's a beautiful, very relaxed little place. And uh, the good news is there's lots of parking everywhere because there aren't that many people. And in fact, there are no parking meters in the entire city, which is one of the great elements of Port Townsend, Washington. So it's a very relaxed environment, or so I thought. I was driving to my office this week, and I was running late, and I saw a wide-open parking spot on the other side of the street, and so I pulled my car in, and I ran up to my office, and I, I got to work, and what I didn't realize was I had pulled my car into the parking spot facing the wrong direction so that when I was going to pull out, sort of theoretically, I would be going into oncoming traffic which in Port Townsend is like a deer or a hippie on a mountain bike. <laughs> and I came out of the office uh, around midday, and somebody had left a note on my window on a bright yellow Post-it note, and they had just written in all caps and a Sharpie, WRONG WAY! <laughs> two exclamation points. And... I just sort of marveled at that. Like, the fact that somebody took time out of their day to do that. And so what I did, though, was I left the note on my car, and I actually left my car in exactly this spot. And this was my, my theory, was people will see that note, and they will make so much fun of whoever left that note that it will be some kind of a payback. Like, I thought the Port Townsend at large was going to side with me over this note situation. So my wife and I, we went and we got some lunch and we ran some other errands and we came back to the car about three hours later and the note was still on the window. And this is where the power of two part comes in. Somebody else had written on the note. <laughs> and they had written in a different handwriting and with a different kind of pen, two words, Dombass. <laughs> and I'm almost sure they were trying to write something else. But I can't be totally certain. And I was really annoyed at this. And I was thinking to myself as I was driving to work the rest of the week, like, I would pull up and I would look around to try to see if anyone had a look on their face that told me they were the person who had left the note. And I was, you know... I was also thinking how brave it was for these people to have put this note on my car. Because if I'd come out of the building and seen someone putting a note on my car or modifying an existing note, <laughs> I would have been super pissed at them. <laughs> we would have probably had some kind of an argument. So I was looking for the person who did it, and I was practicing my speech in my mind that I was going to give them if I figured out who it was. And then on Wednesday, I pulled up, and the weirdest thing happened. I just took, like three-tenths of a second extra and parked my car in the correct direction. And then the next day, I just did the same thing again. 
And nobody left a note on my car, <laughs> which is weird. Like, when you're not violating the law, people are less inclined to try to tell you that that's what's going on. And, like, a little something weird changed in my mind from being a person who was totally furious at these, this dynamic duo to sort of being like, hey, I appreciate the heads up. I mean, the approach could have used some work. <laughs> but, like, I'll, I'll be more thoughtful with how I park. I actually got the message. And maybe most importantly, now there's one less Dombass <laughs> going around Port Townsend, which I think is, is huge. I want to tell you about our first guest He's been praised for his John Lennon-like vocals and his ability to write songs that manage to make dark despair and faint hope sound strangely uplifting. His latest studio album, his eighth, is Leave the Radio On. Please welcome Fernando to Livewire. Thank you very much. Thank you. So you're uh, playing this show here with us in Portland tonight, and then you're going to Europe tomorrow to start touring? Yes. At, uh, I think it's 7 a.m. My flight leaves. I'm a little crazy, yeah. Is, is uh, touring night in and night out, whether you're in Europe or in the States, is it, is it fun or is it a total grind? Oh, no, well, a little bit of both. I think, you know, the driving and that aspect of it, but the performing and meeting new people and, and having people come up to you that appreciate your music that you don't get to meet on a routine basis... Uh, it means a lot to you when they come up to, to you and tell you that the, your music means something to them. And unless you go out there and, and play for them, you don't get that kind of feedback. So, yeah, it's great. What uh, is the song that we're going to hear? You're going to hear Como Sueño. And this is uh, it's, uh, How I Dream. It's from my record, Pacoima, which is its 15th year anniversary this year. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to do that song for you first. All right. This is Fernando on Livewire. Esta vida más 
como sueño, como sueño que todo seamos igual. Llegará Por favor Abran los ojos Junto no podemos Levantar oh. Nunca más Los comandantes sueño como sueño como sueño que todo seamos igual que todo seamos igual que todos Seamos igual Thank you very much. That's Fernando. Right here on Live Wire. His latest record is Leave the Radio On. This is Live Wire Radio, recorded right here in Portland, Oregon. We're talking about the power of two this week. Here in Portland, Oregon, two things are self evident. We love Subarus, and we love talking ironically about owning Subarus. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Bat Cave. Robin. Robin, can you come in here, please? What's up, Batman? Is it the Joker again? I'll get my utility No, belt. no, no. It's nothing like that. Look, I was just checking our Instagram account. Did you read this? At Batboy2000 says, It's so obvious that Batman and Robin are a couple. They wear coordinated outfits all the time. So gay. What? Yeah, you should never read the comments. Well, that's too late. But there are hundreds of them, Robin. At DC Fan says... I think it's sweet when a couple lives and works together. Crime fighting by day, make-out sessions by night, hot. So what? It doesn't matter what people think, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't care if people think that we're gay. I'm, I'm just... Uh, You're just what? Well, if, if so many other people see it, then maybe there's something to it. Uh, I'm sorry? What if we're gay? What if we're gay? Batman... Yes. We're we're attracted to women. Well, sure. I mean, but if you believe in the Kinsey scale and that sexuality is on a continuum and not just a couple of boxes that you can check or uncheck, then maybe... I, I think you're a little off the rails here. Look, I know I love you, but am I in love with you? 
I don't know. That's very sweet. I'm going to go back to martial arts practice now. So, yeah. Yeah, wait, 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 Robin. Uh, what? I think we should kiss. Absolutely not. Why not? Well, first of all, we're co-workers, so us kissing would leave you wide open to a sexual harassment lawsuit because you're my direct report. Okay, I will sign a waiver. Also, I'm not gay. I don't need to kiss you to know that. I've never questioned my sexuality, and I wear tights every day. Okay. Okay, but what if love isn't about gender at all? Maybe we're just two straight dudes in love. Okay. If we kiss and you don't feel anything, will you drop it? Absolutely. Fine. Let's do this. Really? Yes, Batman. Let's kiss. Cool. Okay. Um, let's... Uh, all right. So, do you... Or should I maybe dip... I don't know. Uh, just maybe do I, it! Okay. Sure. I'm going. Um, <clears throat> here we go. Okie dokie. And... Ow! What are you doing? What? I, I'm you sorry. You can't lean in for a kiss and close your eyes. Your teeth hit my nose. I'm sorry, okay? This is awkward. You think? And what were your teeth doing out anyway? Don't worry about that. Okay, let's try again, okay? Back to one. All right, fine. Go. Why is your tongue out right now? Look, it's French, right? Have Come you ever on. kissed anyone, ever? I'm Batman. I'm busy. Well, you're awful at this. Well, why should I have to be the one to lean in? I'm the boss. You lean in. You know what? There. It's done. You happy? Fine. Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Great. I'm going back to the gym. Okay. See you later. Bye. Love you. Okay. Wait. What? Nothing. <laughs> That was Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, whose milk is free of RBST. Because while recombinant bovine somatropin sounds delicious, strangely may not be that great for you. Whole Foods Market, eat as promised. More information can be found at eataspromised.com. This week we're talking about the power of two. And speaking of doubling up on things, that's precisely what our first guest, when he was winning... Two National Poetry Slam competitions. Anish Mosgani's work has appeared on NPR, HBO, among other places. He's performed in festivals and venues as varied as the House of Blues and the United Nations. Although technically the House of Blues is basically the United Nations of rocking. <laughs> Please welcome Anish Mosgani to Livewire. <laughs> Good evening. How is everyone out there in the mysterious void? It's really good to be back. We went to name our babies, but all we could remember were battle hymns sung behind the sun in a carriage you and I were drawn. Maybe I wasn't the only one there. Maybe your dress was made of marzipan. Maybe it was so hot it was made into a sticky mess. Maybe you and I were other people. Maybe we were the same people, but different parts of ourselves. Maybe we were the same people, but different parts of that person. Maybe we were actually two birds on opposite sides of the moon. Maybe the moon is a hole in the night, 
and maybe we sang through it for one another. You a white and crestless cockatoo, I a small sparrow with a black stripe. Or perhaps I was a small sparrow and you were a timid and gentle fawn. Maybe we still sang for each other. And in the years to come, when people asked us to talk about our love, maybe you would say, I sang for him. And maybe your hand would move through my hair as you said it. Like it is an easy and simple thing to not think of this touching of one's heart to another's skin. And in the years to come after that, when people asked about our love, Maybe I would say I wanted someone to sing for and follow this with I found someone to listen to. And maybe that which is loud in me learned not to be any quieter, but maybe learned to listen more loudly. And maybe we sang for each other and maybe we also listened. Maybe we were in a castle or maybe it was a boat or maybe it was in the branches of a faraway tree or in a carriage being pulled by the strands of the day I do not remember. There are so many things I do not remember. But a few important things I know, that my name is happy to follow yours, and yours is happy to sit inside of mine, that the songs of war are still sometimes sung, that the stars gave me my heart to conduct a conversation through, that when I used the knife with the wooden handle to cut my love in half, that love only grew bigger and bigger and bigger with every slice. Come and share this with me. Thank you. And I had a, a, a second poem to share with you guys, and uh, in its title I mentioned a really wonderful uh, friend of mine, a poet named John Sands, and I mentioned him because he writes these poems that fill me with a strange, goofy light, as if I could pay my rent by sharing a new dance move with my landlord. And um, so when I was writing this poem, it felt like something that maybe John would write. So this is called, Today's Love is Brought to You by the Letter John Sands. High five me with your heart. High thousand me with your hearts. I know you have many of them. We all love many things. I love biscuits. I love little pancakes. I love cheeseburgers. I love more than just things that I chew with my mouth. I love my wife. Sometimes I chew my wife's shoulder in my mouth. Sometimes my wife, she is annoyed by this, but still, sometimes my wife loves me back. Some things that I love never love me back. Random racist man upon the street, while your rhetoric may anger me, I still have love for you, though you probably will not love me back. Walrus, I love you. Though were I to be around you, you would probably gore me with your tusks. Perhaps this is not a good example, as the wild unknowing of wild creatures is not the same as not loving something back. Perhaps also because I actually do not love the walrus, but simply mention him here because there's a small figurine of a walrus on the coffee table as I write this poem. However, I do love the elephant. However... He too would probably gore me with his tusks. Again, probably not out of unlove, but perhaps fear. I do not love fear, but I respect him in that he loves me. 
testing how well I carry the sword of my intent through the land of the Midnight Farm. The land of the Midnight Farm, it is a dark and scary place. There are perhaps serial killers and or possums lurking in that darkness. The serial killer may love me, but in no way I wish to be loved. Their love may involve the removal of my skin and the wearing of it out to the club. The possum may love me, but I do not love the possum. In fact, I hate the possum solely because of how ugly I find the possum to be. Yes, I realize that this is a shallow reason to dislike something, so I'm trying, possum. I am trying to not not love you so much. Instead, possibly just be ambivalent to your existence. But, oh, I want to hate you like I hate the thought of bee stings, black people, and beans. I put black people in there just to see if y'all were paying attention. I freaking love black people. I love white people. Though sometimes I find both of them to be trifling. Don't get me wrong. My only mother is black. My only wife is white. But damn if we humans aren't a trifling animal at times. But still, I love you, you mountains of trifle and futility, of perseverance and lightness, of incessant rowing towards the sun, even while facing it, wondering why there is no forward momentum. Turn around. Look at my many hands holding up my many hearts and a mini high-five salutation to you, Nina Simone, Paul Newman. So many things in this world I love. Rising with the sun, sleeping in late, little pancakes, my wife's shoulders. Thank you. You're listening to Livewire, where we think things go better in pairs, like rain and most of the year. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the all-company meeting for Pharma Brands Plus. As you all know, we've been looking for a new CEO, and I'm very pleased to announce that our search is finally over. Let's get to know them, shall we? Hello, everyone. My name is Melissa Lowe, and I am the new CEO of Pharma Brands Plus. Also, hello, everyone. My name is Doug Terry, and I am also the new CEO of Pharma Brands Plus. That's right, everyone. We got a group on for two-for-one CEOs, and, well, <laughs> two heads are better than one. Don't they say that? You know, I've never co-CEO'd before, but I'm a trailblazer, so I'll try it. Uh, neither have I, but I am open to forging new paths, so I will also try it. Well, let's get to know our new CEOs, our new co-CEOs. Melissa and Doug, tell us about your leadership styles. I'd love to, Jeff. My style of leading has been called dynamic, innovative, and powerful. Oh, and mine has been called energetic, creative, and strong. Okay, those words are basically synonyms, but... Um... <laughs> Looks like you guys are simpatico. What is one word you would use to describe yourself? I would say forward thinking. Forward thinking. thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Doug looks like we're already on the same page. (laughs) Just two peas in a business pod. Okay, great. Uh, What do you think is the most important ingredient of a successful workplace? Oh, synergy. Definitely synergy. And Melissa? Um, Sin... Sin... Teamwork? Okay. Teamwork, synergy, again, pretty much the same thing. Um, Now, what is your work mantra? Always give 110% 110 to take take it it to the the next next level. level. That was weird. (laughs) I've never met anyone else with the same specific work mantra as me. Uh, Nor have I, Melissa. Hmm. 
Well, can each of you give a goal for Farmer Brands Plus? To, to be, be a, a brand, brand leader. leader. Okay. And what is the most important thing for a business to be? Scalable. Okay. Great. And for Farmer Brands Plus, what would you recommend the next step be? A, a massive, massive liquidity, liquidity event. event. Oh, boy. Stop copying my management style and rhetoric. Maybe you two should just calm down. Corporate values, paradigm shifts, core competency, best practices, casual Fridays. All right, all right, all right. Let's just close with why you each took this job. That has to be different. I believe Big Pharma is evil, and I only took this job because I have an underwater mortgage and an addiction to fine Italian leather goods. I love you. You want to get out of here? Totally. Okay, I think this is the last straw with Groupon. That's Courtney Hommeister, Andrew Harris, and Sean McGrath. You're listening to Livewire Radio, sponsored in part by New Belgium Brewing, this fall featuring Tour de Fall Pale Ale, brewed with Cascade and Amarillo hops. It's like a hippie wearing spurs. More information can be found at newbelgium.com. We are talking about collaboration and teaming up this hour, which makes this the perfect time to talk to our next guest, Joshua Wolfshank. His new book is Powers of Two, Seeking the Essence of Innovation in Creative Pairs. And among other things, it seeks to debunk the myth of the sort of lone creative genius and shows how competition and collaboration intertwine to create brilliant, pair, brilliant pairs like Lennon and McCartney and Jobs and Wozniak. Here to talk about the book and also how his name sounds like a lycanthropic prison badass. Please welcome Joshua Wolfshank to Livewire. I, I enjoyed uh, this book uh, because I think that I was one of the people going in that has this idea of the lone genius, the, the person that is you know, off in Menlo Park or wherever, and they're just coming up with these great ideas, and that's how inventions and new ideas make it into the world. And your whole book is really dispelling that. Can you talk about the sort of three types of partnerships that tend to occur? Yeah, so I started with the curiosity about this thing we call chemistry or electricity. I just wanted to know more about that feeling that two people have in each other's presence when they're charged up, they're levitating. It's like uh, you're walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden it's a moving sidewalk and there's something between you and this other person that's, that's moving you along more quickly. And so I looked at Jobs and Wozniak and Lennon and McCartney. I thought these classic duos, Watson and Crick, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, whatever this thing called chemistry is, it's clearly between them. But then I started to see that there were critical relationships where I had no idea. I thought it was just a lone genius like Martin Luther King Jr. co-created the civil rights movement with a partner who was with him all the way through. And Marsha Lucas, who was George Lucas's wife, played a critical role in all the great movies. And what do you know, when she and George split, that's when the work started to suck. Uh, and so you see these... I assume they were fighting during the Ewoks creation, because there's also no great shakes. Uh, so you see these relationships all the way through these hidden partnerships, and then there are also all kinds of partnerships where you have two people, and they're both very well known, like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, um, but we don't have a popular understanding of the way they affected each other, the way they responded to each other, the way they were competing with each other, 
and really, in a large sense, the way they co-created each other. So you talk about the overt, those are the ones that are easy to pair up. That's right. The, the distinct, and then something called asymmetrical. Yeah, asymmetrical, where you're aware of one person and you're not aware of the other, where there's a dramatic power imbalance, and you really think, oh, well, this is his work and she's helping, or vice versa, when in fact the relationship is much uh, messier and much more fluid than those clear divisions would suggest. Well, that's what I wanted to find out about how you actually researched this book, because a lot of people who, as you said, are seen as the genius, there was somebody who was very much a part of the collaboration. Right. But that was a long time ago, and people's memories fade, and history can be inaccurate. How do you actually find out who was doing what in some of these partnerships that go back like hundreds of years? At the heart of it, it's an intuitive feeling. When there's heat, when there's passion, when there's a sense of arousal, that was the thing that I was interested in, and I saw it in lots of surprising places, and I just I followed that heat map. At a certain point... I started to see that people who were opposing each other really fiercely, like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, trying to beat each other and actually taking pleasure in each other's suffering when one or the other won, um, actually became entwined uh, with one another and came to respect each other and even love each other. Mag I remember being a kid walking through the mall and there was the cutout Converse ad that right. was Larry Bird and Magic Johnson back-to-back, -back, and it said, choose your weapon. Right. They seem to be kind of against each other, but also on a team. That's right. I mean, the, by their opposition, they came to have what Magic called a kind of marriage. He said, we can never get divorced. And to this day, they, whenever either one of them appears in public, the, they're asked about the other. So then, what about the people like me who are terrible at collaborating? I mean, I have to, I, lay, I, I think I have the, the idea of how something should be, and then when other people give their ideas, I, I, you know, I take it into sort of under advisement, but I have a really hard time in the collaborative process. Uh, does that just mean I'm not evolved enough, or I'm just amazing? <laughs> I'm hoping for door number two. Some people like to be the star. Um, is that what it comes down to? Because when you talk about like Lennon and McCartney, what you talk about are two musical geniuses who are then having somebody else say to them, what if we did it this way? And apparently thinking, oh, you have a better idea than I do. If I was John Lennon, I would never concede that anybody had a better idea than I do about anything. Yeah, well, it's a rare person. You know, you have these, these guys, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, both you know, egos uh, the size of Liverpool from the time they were teenagers. And John had a band, and he ran the band, and he loved being the kingpin. That was the word he used. And he saw Paul McCartney, and he said, you know, this guy is as good as me, and if I take him on, that's the phrase he used, if I take him on, what will happen? And he let that uncertainty and that instability into his life and that power struggle in order to be bigger and better. But he never let go of that feeling that you're describing, too, of a, of a, a bravado and a wanting to be right all the time. He just, that quality coexisted with this challenge that he was always getting from Paul. So uh, collaboration doesn't have to mean that both people put aside their secret thoughts about the other person and how they're not as good as them. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that that... Often I've also it, described many of the marriages in this country, interestingly <laughs> enough. It's often sort of the person who incites you the most, who challenges you the most, who might make you the most headstrong. I mean, it's really... Collaboration is this very kind of cold, technical word, and it suggests two people who are, you know, working on a project, and it actually might be very neutral and, and, and not that hot. What I'm really interested in is 
creative intimacy, where two people are really bound up in something, regardless of what the external shape is, regardless of how much credit one or the other gets, regardless of what it's called. Uh, let's talk about some of these partnerships that you lay out in the book. By the way, we're talking to Joshua Wolf Shank. His new book is Powers of Two. This is Live Wire Radio. Um, uh, let's talk about Orville and Wilbur Wright. Yes. That seems like a collaboration where you have a lot riding on the other person. Um, because, like, if, they, <laughs> if they're wrong about something, you could be dead. Yeah. The stakes are pretty high. Yeah, and the Wright brothers are a great example of two guys who went at it constantly. They would fight so fiercely that they, and they loved it. They loved fighting with each other. They sometimes would switch positions and then continue the argument, but from the opposite place. <laughs> and the, if you look at the original, at the, the design for the flying machine, these guys were up against, you know, huge scientists who were funded massively by federal governments all over the world, and they actually did this very light, nimble design that was all about flexibility and adjustment, which is the same thing that characterized their interaction with each other. So you really feel like that their ability to work together had a huge impact on their ability to come up with the plane design? The two things, they illustrate the same principles. Whether there's some explicit connection, I don't know, but it is very telling, and it's a great metaphor for what pairs do as they move through the world. They're constantly adjusting to changing conditions, often the changes that are coming from the other person. Uh, let's talk about uh, Katie Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. What was their partnership like? Um, they had a, a really hot punk band called the Suffragettes. <laughs> um, one was the provocateur. This is Elizabeth Cady Stanton. She was an intellectual. She was a great writer, but she really liked to stay at home. Um, she didn't want to go travel the country. She was not political. She really could not compromise all the way through to the end of her life. She was just taking on people in a way that would make your jaws drop, not just around women's equality, but also around race and religion. And Susan B. Anthony was pragmatic and energetic and would do the footwork of building the movement. So is the takeaway from some of this that if you're someone and you are creative or you're motivated in some way, you need to find somebody else who's sort of the yin to your yang? I think there are two kinds of stories. There's the story of people who are already in these kinds of connections but are usually not that aware of it because it runs so contrary to the way that we ordinarily talk about creativity. There's not much vocabulary for it. And I, yeah, I think there are also people who really need a lot more of this and need to learn to tune up to this very physical experience of encountering another person and feeling that charge, that creative charge. Uh, you mentioned uh, Martin Luther King Jr. earlier. Uh, he had a guy that he was, uh, you know, sort of collaborating with, Ralph Abernathy, who yeah. a lot of people don't know about. What, was, what, were, what were their roles? Yeah, it's really poignant. And Abernathy is a mystery even to the, the innermost circle of the civil rights movement and to, and to King biographers. But King loved him. He wanted him by his side. They devised the Montgomery bus boycott together. When King was shot, he was in Lor the Lorraine Motel, uh, which you can still see in Memphis, in a room that they called the King Abernathy Suite because they stayed there so often. And I love that detail because it suggests how close they were and also how much happened between them that we'll never know about because it happened in jail cells that they shared when they were arrested. They always shared a jail cell. Um, it happened in car trips. It happened in, in motel rooms where they would stay in two single beds in the same room. Um, it, are there applications for normal people who aren't trying to go into 
I don't know, business or the creative field in, in such a way that they're looking for a partner. Uh, is there an application to normal people's lives, like being married or like getting along with other people that, that they can take from this book? Because really this is about collaborating and we all collaborate whether or not we're trying to invent an airplane or start yes. the Beatles. I have learned a lot about my romantic relationships from researching this book and what went well and what went poorly. I think that the principles do apply. I don't make that an explicit claim in the book, um, but I think the, the core principles that you see in these creative connections also show up in our, you know, all other, all other kinds of relationships. Uh, there is another uh, duo that's in your book that I'm personally fascinated with, and that's the director, Werner Herzog, yeah. and Klaus Kinski, who is an actor in many of his movies, and I, the, the, there's a great documentary uh, called My Best Fiend, which yeah. basically detailed how much Werner Herzog hated Klaus Kinski, to the point where the story was that once he brought a gun to the set, I think with two bullets in it, and said, one of these is for you and one <laughs> of these is for me. I don't think he was joking. Like, how does that collaboration work? Yeah, th this is what Kinski said of Herzog in his memoir. He said he was a miserable, spiteful, envious, stingy, stinking, money-hungry, malicious, sadistic, insidious, backstabbing, blackmailing, cowardly person, and a liar through and through. <laughs> so how does that collaboration work exactly? You know, That's they, like the, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf of uh, like working relationships. Right. Yeah, how does it work and how does it not work? How does it bring you to the greatest heights of your creative life and also to the greatest depths of agony? And it did both for both of them. I mean, um, Herzog was really drawn to this guy. He was drawn to his energy. There was a scene that he saw Kinski in when he was a little boy and he just, he played the scene over and over again in his life. And it's, you see, it, he shows that scene in the documentary and indeed it's just, this guy is so full of life, and yet he's totally unpredictable, and that is often what you get. You know, when Bill Murray was cast in Meatballs, which was his first feature, his friend Harold Ramis um, had written the script, and they were on set, they had the script, they were ready to roll, and Murray didn't show up, and he didn't show up, and he didn't show up, and they, the director, Ivan Reitman, said, okay, the moment he's here, if he comes, we start rolling cameras, and they, he, he, he rolled up, and the outfit he was wearing when he got off the bus is the first scene in that movie. And they made, uh, Ramis and Murray made all these great movies together, and then Bill Murray just stopped talking to him. And um, Ramis said in a profile, he said, yeah, it's a funny thing about Bill. You know, he'd give you a liver, but he probably won't return your phone calls. Uh, why did you then, when you wrote this book, which is Powers of Two, it's all about collaboration, but it's written by Joshua Wolf Schenk. It's not written by you and somebody else. Why is it that this book that's about collaboration only has your name on it? I also like being the star. <laughs> and I have, a, I have an offstage partner, my editor, Eamon Dolan. It's Don't you feel like it would have made the point, though, more strongly if it was like two people did this? I was living the points of this book all through writing it, and I'm still living it. I, 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 I am bound up with my editor in ways that are exhilarating and also um, at times consternating. I mean, we really do co-own this book. We both put our energy into it. We have a contract. There's certain legal obligations uh, between us, um, but also in a larger sense, we so many of these ideas, it's hard to know, you know where his influence ends and my authorial vision begins. And we often don't know about the person who's off stage. Um, we don't know about the art dealer. We don't know about the COO, but they're always there. 
All right, Joshua Wolfshank, stay right there. I want to talk to you more about some of this stuff. We've got to take a quick break, though, right here on LiveWire. We will be right back. This LiveWire podcast is brought to you by Ergo Depot, now featuring the Jarvis sit-stand desk for when you want to hang low or get high. Now, I know that sounds like a drug reference, but it's actually not because Ergo Depot knows that standing tall means higher energy levels, higher concentration and output. Jarvis has a memory handset that allows you to raise the desk to whatever height you like. And its LED readout always tells you how high you are, just like your old friend Phil used to do in college. Okay, now that was a drug reference. I'm I'm sorry. We, We just really miss Phil around here. Find the Jarvis sit-stand desk and more furniture for a healthy workday at ErgoDepot.com, where we figuratively have your back. All right. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRI Public Radio International. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We're talking to Joshua Wolfshank, the author of Powers of Two, Seeking the Essence of Innovation in Creative Pairs. Okay, Joshua, you talk in your book about the power of pairs, and also you point out that sometimes introducing a third element can really change the dynamic in kind of a negative way. So we want to run a few groups of three by you and ask you which one is the third wheel. Okay. That we need to just drive out to a desolate road and sort of take care of. Yes. All right. uh, Which of these is the third wheel? Uh, Ketchup, mustard, or mayonnaise? Okay. I like to uh, take the mustard out and set it up on a date uh, with wasabi. Oh. So it's... it's, There's a dynamic duo for you. So mustard is out, but ketchup and mayonnaise, they can... um, I also I don't I won't have now. mayonnaise in my house. It's one of my ways I pay homage to my Jewish tradition. I, I won't have it in my refrigerator. Is it not kosher? I don't know. It just <laughs> feels very profoundly un Jewish to me, probably from Annie Hall. Uh, and I have I have house guests and I come home and there's mayonnaise there and I'm who do I give this away to? I don't want to throw it away. I feel guilty, but I just I don't want it in there. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, next. Dogs, humans, or cats? Which one is the third wheel there, dogs, humans, or cats? The cats can just go off, and they can roam the perimeter, and the dogs and the humans can romp around together. I think. But have you seen the video this week of a cat riding a Roomba in a princess outfit? Because that really uh, rocked my world. You know, apparently there is a whole film festival of cat videos. So they have their moment. So the cats, you, can, the cats can go out of the picture, the humans and the dogs the can. The cats get a lot of love. Okay. Um, this is not a controversial one at all. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Oh, jeez, Louise. Um, my next book is about my father, so I'm going to go with the Father and the Son and hope the Holy Ghost smiles on, on the book project. We're hoping he's like a friendly ghost. Kind of Casper sort of situation. Um, how about uh, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, or Empire Strikes Back. Ooh. You know a lot about this topic from I writing do. about George yes. Lucas and his and wife. Yes, and Return of the Jedi is where it starts to go bad. It's true. If you watch, and that's when George and Marsha Lucas were getting divorced. So I'd definitely go with the original, uh, A New Hope, and Empire Strikes Back. Okay, and then uh, last but not least, because um, we didn't have enough controversial questions, Apple Pie, Baseball, or American Flags? Uh, we're trying to make sure you can never promote this book in the state of Texas. Yeah, I, I love apple pie, especially if it's gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, sugar-free. But in Portland, You're I'm, gonna fit in great I'm here, sure I actually. can have that as a, as a midnight snack tonight. 
and I'm going to wrap myself in an American flag. So baseball's out for you. That is depressingly un-American of you, yeah. Joshua. <laughs> Joshua Wolfshank, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, that came up quick. We are at the end of this hour, and it really flew by. What do you think, announcer Jason Rouse? He wants to enjoy something that's not apple pie, by the way, if it has no gluten, no sugar. Yeah. No real, you know. Yeah, that was, so he's, I, he's, that was he's the box that McDLT comes in, is yeah, what he actually tough. described. Um, but I, 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 you know, I learned that, I, uh, that it sort of dusted something else off, that I have always worked better in a team, in a tandem with someone else. Always, as I thought back. I've never been a good solo, uh, solo operator. Well, I'm glad that, that we get to team up here, Jason. Uh, but we do have a third wheel. Ralph Huntley, musical director. <laughs> have, you, have you picked up anything this last hour? You know, uh, I'm just really enamored with Anis Mojani's uh, poetry. And I have to say, when I hear him speak, uh, it really inspires me to be less lazy uh, about what I'm thinking and, more importantly, how I express what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. Yeah, uh, he's just really incredible. So that was that was pretty unforgettable. I also I also learned from Anise that you have to be so careful if you try to hug a walrus or a possum. That is so much more dangerous than I thought. All right, thank you so much, everybody, for spending this time with us. One more time, give it up for Fernando. Sleepwalking, my eyes were shut. Earth fell wet beneath my feet. Following voices seemed so familiar. All felt too real, be a dream. Outside, the dogs they were barking. Wind was pushing hard against the leaves Faces of the people that had died long ago Trying to say something to me They wanted this world's hatred and greed I got scared so ran into the woods Right amongst the oaks and the magnolia trees Hid myself all these worldly goods Outside the dogs they were barking Wind was pushing hard against the leaves Faces of the people that had died long ago Trying to say something to me Seeing is believing Death is like dreaming Boys, I think that I'm ready to go I'll change my direction Cure this infection All of you just leave me alone
here on Livewire, and that is our show. Thank you so much. Our thanks to our guests, Joshua Wolfshank, Anise Mojgani, and Fernando. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Laughing Planet Cafe, hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom and our musical director, Mr. Ralph Huntley. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone and guest writer Caitlin Kunkel. Our performers are Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris. Graham Nystrom is our technical director, house sound by Neil Blake, stage management by Jillian Tabler. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Oregon Cultural Trust, Work for Art, the Oregon Community Foundation, and listeners like you, fine, fine people. For more information about our show and how to become a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. PRI, Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show, so you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review. And if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.
from PRX.